Opportunities to serve others abound. The responsibility we share to care for those in need today is also reflected in the central chapters of 2 Corinthians. We are to give and to give cheerfully. Let us also use this opportunity to follow additional counsel from Paul to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. Through honest self-examination, we prepare ourselves to progress on a path of becoming more like our Savior, who willingly gave all. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. My brother broke his leg a few months ago and my mom's friend came and brought over dinner for us to help us out because our family had been kind of stressed at the time and it was very kind of her to help us. I uh, just went to the store and was trying to buy a sandwich, swiped my card, declined. Pretty embarrassing, but luckily someone behind me was nice enough to just pay for me and uh, it was the greatest sandwich I probably had. I've been in bad situations where I needed help, and so when I see somebody who's suffering, I usually think, what does this person really need? And having been in many situations where I was suffering, I'm like, I know what she needs, so I just try to deliver right away. Whenever I have the opportunity to serve someone, um, it always makes me feel as if I'm part of something greater than myself. And, you know, it's like something apart from my everyday activities. It's something special that really gave me a place in this world. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Gay Strathern. Dr. Strathern is an associate dean of religious education at BYU and has been a faculty member at the BYU Jerusalem Center. She has a PhD in religion with an emphasis on New Testament and Christian origins from Claremont Graduate University. She was born and raised in Redcliffe, Australia. Gay, welcome. Thanks, Ben. It's good to be here. And our special guests for today are Davis and Asia Lean Smith. Davis and Asia Lean have lived and traveled all over the world and are the founders of the outdoor gear and clothing brand, Cotopaxi. Davis currently serves as the CEO. They are the parents of four children. Davis and Asia Lean, so happy to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. And we're also joined by our live studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And for the viewers at home, thanks for joining us. Please join us for further discussion online through any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss are first, I can cheerfully share what I have to bless the poor and needy. And second, honest self-examination helps me progress. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll move on to footnotes, which is a segment of the show where we let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Gay, Davis, and Asia Lane. On to our first topic. I can cheerfully share what I have to bless the poor and needy. Can you give us a little historical context from the scriptures in general from these chapters and then specifically what this first topic has to do uh, with what Paul is teaching in these chapters? Absolutely. So if we're going to understand what's happening here, we have to uh, have at least some sense of something called the collection. 
This isn't uh, Paul just going around randomly asking the saints for money. He's collecting money for the saints who are in Judea. Paul sees this as a really important way to try and help bring the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians together um, in appreciation for each other. A year ago, before he writes this, uh, the Corinthian saints had heard about this collection and they were really excited about it. But a year on, yeah, they haven't done anything yet. <laughs> and so Paul is kind of writing to them, trying to get them to not just be excited about it, but actually do something about it. So uh, Asia, Davis, what are some of your initial thoughts as we hear about Paul's encouragement uh, to, to have the saints give of what they have to support the poor and the needy? I think one thing that stood out to me was he used the story of uh, the Macedonians and how mm -hmm. they'd given. And they were, they were extremely poor themselves. Yeah. And uh, what really stood out to me though was that they, they chose to give on their own and even though they were poor, they were, they were pleading with the church to accept their, their, their donations. And uh, it's such a great example for us about, really it talks about grace and uses the word grace. Uh, to have that grace where when we give, it's not uh, a chore, but to think of everything is, that we have, turning to the Lord and saying, everything I own is yours and I'm willing to give everything I have. And that's what I think the Macedonians did and what Paul was trying to help the Corinthians understand mm -hmm. what, they, what they could do. Yeah. Thanks, Davis. Asia Lane, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think when we recognize that everything that we have is from our Heavenly Father, then we can be more cheerful in our giving. I think that's key. And I think it's important that we read the verse, right? So we're getting here, to that. Yeah. And so um, verse 6 kind of leads into it. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. And then the verse, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So the Corinthians had this excitement, but, but they've kind of maybe lost that. So Paul's saying, I don't want you to do this just because I'm on your back. Somehow I want you to, to feel, to, to rekindle that excitement that you'd had that year before. And I, I love how the, when, when in this verse, how Paul says, uh, it kind of sets up this idea that there are different ways to give. And Davis, you mentioned this as well, um, something, giving from the heart as opposed to it being a chore. I would love to, to hear from the audience, what is the difference you feel when you give cheerfully as opposed to giving out of a sense of duty or obligation? Riley. I feel like there's a very clear difference between giving out of a sense of duty or cheerfully. I've noticed that when I am serving because the church tells me to or because Heavenly Father expects me to, I often leave with a feeling of resentment. And I don't leave with this feeling of being uplifted versus when I'm reaching out to somebody because I genuinely love and I care about them and I want to uplift them as much as I want to uplift myself, I leave feeling uplifted and I leave feeling closer to my Heavenly Father and feeling not only that love that Heavenly Father has for me, but for that, my fellow man. And it really helps me to feel that relationship. And that's a great point uh, that Riley brings up. We had a, a comment come in from uh, one of our viewers and I would love to, to get your thoughts on it. Hi, my name's Eric and I live in Texas. I'm currently a student, I'm also working and I'm a husband. So I'm wondering, amidst my busy schedule, what can I do to better recognize promptings from the Spirit to serve others and find time to act on them? 
Good question. Now, in addition to, you know, running a business, Davis and Angelina, you're also raising four children. And I'm sure that you have so many things going on. So how can we help Eric answer this question of finding time with the busy schedule, the things that life brings, you know, to follow those promptings to know when to give? Yeah. For me, I found that if I can weave it into my daily work okay. um, and into the things I'm doing anyways, that's where I find I, I have the opportunities to serve the most. And so, you know, with our business, with Cotopaxi, we've, we've woven impact and giving into everything we do. And um, it's been so fulfilling to be able to build something that, that isn't just a business, it isn't just a brand, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that's, that's changing uh, the lives of people. And it was by starting small, and just finding ways that we could weave this desire that we had to help other people, weaving that into our, into our daily work. And we do that when we travel and other things. And so that's, that's a way that we've found uh, that we can help. And Gay, ultimately, this is what Paul is trying to do, right. is to create that, you know, that sense of what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right, and, and it's, it's about being intentional, I mm-hmm. think. Um, uh, if we, we go throughout the scriptures, uh, how we treat our, our neighbours or treat the, those who are maybe disadvantaged or the poor or something, that runs throughout our scriptures as one of the major covenantal responsibilities that we have, whether in the Old Testament, the New Testament, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. And so I think it's really important. It's, it's, the question isn't just what can the church do, because the church does wonderful stuff. But really importantly, my covenants is about me and the things that I'm doing. So what am I going to do? Um, and I have to be intentional. If I'm going to be, a, we all have busy lives. So the only way I'm going to get that in is, am I praying for it? Praying for opportunities? Because then it helps me look and see things that I might have just kind of rushed by mm-hmm. other times. So Davis and, and Ajeline, uh, where did this start, this desire to to serve and to you know, create a business that, like you said, woven in is this idea of giving. Uh, do you mind kind of give us a little background on how you started Cotopaxi and just your need, your desire to give to those in need? We had an experience when we were newly married and we were interns in Peru. And um, we went to Machu Picchu, went to Cusco, and there was this cute little boy who was trying to shine Davis's tennis shoes. And um, we just developed this fun little relationship with him. Um, We would bring him food and just say hi every time we passed by. And the very last night we were in town, we saw him at 11 o'clock at night and he was sleeping on the side, like leaned up against a building. And we woke him up and asked him, what's going on, why aren't you home? And he said that someone had stolen his shoe shining kit and he was afraid to go home and face his dad because he helped support his family at that young age of nine. Um, we decided to, you know, we just gave him what we had. We had some extra money. And then the next day as we were um, waving goodbye from the, the bus we were in, we were out of, going out of the city and, and he was waving to us. He was happy and he was holding a bag of candy. He used the money to buy a bag of candy so he could sell candy. And we were just on that bus ride out of the city. We looked at each other and we made this commitment that we have to do more. We can't just go back to school, go back to BYU, go back to Utah and forget about this boy and all of the other um, children and people in similar needs. So we wrote... We wrote that in our journals and we remembered it. And then the opportunity arose where Davis um, was in transition from one business to another. 
and he decided to start a business where he could help um, those in poverty. What an inspiration. So one thing as, as we've been listening to uh, the Smiths talk about their experience, it's not always about uh, the temporal giving um, because there are times for, for those that may feel that I don't have enough for myself, so how can I give? There is also uh, spiritual things that we can give. Uh, I would love to hear, to come back to the audience, in addition to giving uh, temporal things, how can we help support others by giving spiritually? Phidias. So I think uh, it's very important to be able to see our surroundings. Um, my son was uh, 11 years old in primary and he came up to this teacher and he said to her, you look like you could use a hug. <laughs> and he went up to her and he just embraced her. What he didn't know was that several months earlier, her son had died. Wow. And then she got this calling to serve in the primary. So this was her first day in primary. And watching all those children, she could only think of her son. So she was aching until an 11-year-old little boy smiled at her and said, you look like you could use a hug wow. and just embraced her. Phidias, actions like that come from following examples that they see all the time. What a wonderful example of how, you know, if you're not able to, you know, to go around the world and serve, that we can do it within the walls of our own home. We can do it within our own communities in those small, simple ways. Again, what are some of your thoughts on, in addition to what Paul is trying to teach about giving from a temporal sense, what about from the spiritual sense? Okay. Well, I, I love here in terms of, in most things, there's a doctrinal foundation for what he's doing. And that's certainly what Paul does. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verses, um, verse 9 mainly, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty may be rich. Now, I think this is talking much more than economics, right? right? This is talking about the costs that he was willing to pay for our spiritual redemption. So it's not just economic, but it's spiritual salvation. But sometimes there's a connection between the, between the two. You know, even just talking about these things, I just can't help but just feel this overwhelming sense of just joy and love to try to reach out and serve. Uh, Phidias, your comment was so wonderful. And, and, and everything that's been shared here, uh, Elder Holland just says it so perfectly uh, on how we can give. He said, rich or poor, we are to do what we can when others are in need. God will help you and guide you in compassionate acts of discipleship if you are conscientiously wanting and praying and looking for ways to keep a commandment he has given us again and again. Uh, Davis, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this idea that uh, Elder Holland is sharing of doing what we can when others are in need. Yeah, this is actually, this is one of my favorite conference talks. So I remember exactly when it was given in 2014. Um, and it really spoke to me. Uh, my entire life, I had known I wanted to find a way to use my life to help others. And we were living in Brazil at the time um, where I had built my previous business. And um, one night I remember I was feeling really discouraged that I hadn't found a way to use my life to, to do something that really mattered. And I was praying and asking Heavenly Father for guidance on what I should be doing. And as I laid in bed, um, I started having some promptings. And I really felt that God instructed me on how I could make a difference. 
And uh, I love how you, you brought up the, the guidance that you received uh, specifically from the Holy Ghost. Uh, in your situation, uh, on a personal note, how does the Holy Ghost guidance speak to you so that you know uh, what to do next? You know, uh, it's interesting. I think all of us are, are learning uh, throughout our lives how, to commun- how the mm-hmm. Lord communicates with us. And it's different for each one of us. Right. A lot of times I feel the strongest whisperings at, at night. I've gone to, to bed with something that's weighing heavy on me. And as I ponder it, uh, I feel whisperings and guidance. And I'm, it's to the point where I'm trying to really understand it better and understand when the Lord is speaking to me. Yeah. I love that. Ajeline, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's really important to take time to be still, mm-hmm. to ponder, to feel that. So that's what I, that's my goal. If I can just have that quiet time every day so that I can feel closer to the Savior and He can guide me, I know I can have that guidance daily and have that direction in my life. Well, thank you for those wonderful thoughts. And Gay, thank you so much for uh, teaching us from the scriptures about our first topic of cheerfully uh, giving of what we have. And for the audience, thank you as well for sharing your experiences. And for you at home, how do you ensure that your giving is done cheerfully? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. When I need to recharge or reevaluate or figure something out, um, I turn on some music and that's my happy place. My happy place is heights, anywhere up high. I'll climb a tree, I'll climb a roof, I will climb a skyscraper if that's the tallest thing in the area. I just love to look down at the world. It's almost like I get to see the world from God's perspective. I typically just go to the gym, you know? I, uh, it helps me like clear my mind, um, or I'll just like sit at a desk and just draw. That kind of helps uh, give me a peace of mind, you know? Makes me feel good. For me, I actually really do go to the scriptures when I need time to think and ponder and figure things out. Um, The scriptures are a source of strength and comfort and learning. And when I come to the scriptures, I come to Christ and learn of Him. I love the temple. The temple is the most special, sacred place on this earth, and I love any chance I get to go there. I feel peace. I feel the Spirit. I feel guidance. And most of all, I feel the love of my Heavenly Father and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Our second topic we're going to discuss today is honest self-examination helps me progress. Gay, what sort of context do we need to understand from the scriptures as we jump into this next topic? Yeah, this is kind of interesting because uh, once we hit chapter 10 in 2 Corinthians, there is a total shift in the tone there. Right. Um, So much so that scholars actually think chapters 10 through 13 are a separate letter at a different time that's just been added on. So you kind of get in what we were looking in chapters uh, eight and nine. Paul is loving. He's (laughs) talking about how wonderful the people are, all of their positive virtues is encouraging them to to do a little better. But by the time we hit chapter 10, it's totally different. Um, And it's clear that something has happened and that there are people in Corinth who are attacking him personally and his apostolic ministry. He talks about them as being false apostles and they're questioning his his authority as an apostle. Um, And so he's responding to them. So chapter 13 here, it opens up with this passage that probably most of us have heard about it. 
This is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And what he's saying here, if you're going to uh, accuse me of something, you better have witnesses in line to set up what you're saying. Um, and then he comes down to verse five. If you're going to attack me and my righteousness, first, you need to examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except that you're reprobates. And the word here, reprobates, just mean is that you're really unqualified to be casting these stones. This is almost like uh, Jesus with the, the woman in adultery saying, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And so this is a really, really powerful uh, statement here. And Paul is hoping that he can do this powerfully so that his hope is that they'll repent so that when he comes, they can have a good experience. But at this point, he's saying you need to look at your own selves. It's a reminder to all of us that we can't stay on spiritual plateaus, that we have to look and say, where am I at and what can I do to keep progressing? I would love to hear from the Smiths on how as you look at this idea of self-examination, how have you seen progression in your own lives as you have taken a moment to stop and think about things that perhaps need to change or be adjusted? I think a great opportunity for self-reflection is um, in our callings. And it made me think of an experience I had several years ago where I was serving with someone and we spent a lot of time together and I was kind of critical of um, the way she did things. And um, after the fact, I felt really bad about it because it was a wonderful experience overall. And um, so when I was called into my next calling in my ward, I, I told myself, I don't want that again. I want to have a great relationship with these new sisters I'm going to be serving with. And um, I want to have a great relationship. I want to be humble. I want to learn. I want to do better. And we can all do that in our callings. Thanks, Ejuline. Uh, Davis, what are your thoughts? Yeah, for me, I think of uh, a couple of years ago, I started getting these notifications on my phone every Sunday for some reason of how much time I'd spent the previous week on my phone. And at first you see the numbers, you're like, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> But I started reflecting on how I was using my time on my phone and I uh, started thinking about there's, there's opportunities where I think I could use that time more effectively. And I started catching myself every time I was spending time on the phone where it's like, oh, this isn't that useful. I'd switch over to a book and I started listening to books. And last year I ended up listening to almost 30 books. Wow. Uh, just using this time that I maybe wasn't using as effectively before. The second thought that comes to mind is that sometimes it's hard to self-reflect and we need mm -hmm. someone else to help us. And in business, we create structures around giving and receiving feedback. Um, but I think that's a healthy thing to do in a, in a home, in a family, um, in any kind of organization, uh, giving and receiving feedback. And um, of course, structuring that around love and care. If you know mm -hmm. someone cares and loves you, um, then you're willing to accept that feedback and look for ways that you can do better. Ajeline, he just gave it the green light. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is so amazing at taking oh, feedback. Awesome. I've had lots of practice. I admire. <laughs> I admire that in him. He really is. That's great. Gabe, what thoughts do you have on this idea of self-reflection? <clears throat> yeah, so one of the ways that, that I self-reflect is um, when I'm reading the scriptures, and I don't know if I can say this, but sometimes, most times for me, reading the scriptures is actually very uncomfortable. Hmm. And it's uncomfortable because... While I am certainly looking to the Saviour and for his teachings and things, 
there's a real important part of me that I'm reading, um, when I'm reading about Corihor, or I'm reading about Laman and Lemuel, or I'm reading about anyone in the scriptures that we don't often see as a positive example. And I'm asking myself, Gay, is there a bit of Corihor in you? Mm. And the uncomfortable part is that I usually have to answer uh, yes. Um, and so I'm looking for, and it's important for me to be able to, and I use this language all the time, hold up that spiritual mirror as I'm reading and see what part of me is in him or her and, and, and ha what do I need to do to address that and uh, try and do better. And knowing what to do can be, can be challenging at times. Uh, there's a quote that I, I share every semester with my students uh, from Michelle Craig, who's wonderful. Uh, and she says this, well, we're, gonna, we're gonna practice this, so be ready, because I'm coming back to the audience right after this quote. She said, as I pray for the Lord to open my eyes to see things I might not normally see, I often ask myself two questions and pay attention to the impressions that come. What am I doing that I should stop doing? And what am I not doing that I should start doing? So I, I call it the start-stop principle. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on something that you are doing that you would like to stop doing, or is there something that you are not doing that you would like to start doing? Shauna. When I think about what I wanted to stop doing, I thought, I need to stop criticizing other people, kind of like Ajeline was talking about, because the Spirit has told me, you're too critical, you're too, too perfectionist. And so I've been evaluating that, and I started doing things a little differently, and I noticed a big difference. And there's still so much to do. And then as far as what to start doing, I got a definite, you need to start going to bed earlier. And so I was like, okay, we've moved, we're starting things over again, let's make these changes, because I want to be a better person, and I think these things will help. It's the Spirit directing me what to do. Yeah. Shauna, we're, we're taught oftentimes in the scriptures that it's by small and simple things that great things come to pass. How has taken that approach to uh, a self-examination of small, simple things had an impact on the, the big picture of your life? Well, I noticed just these little changes have kind of changed the feeling in my relationship with my husband. and. When I go to bed earlier, I feel better, and he does too, because we're on, kind of more, more on the same united page, you know, of a schedule and a rhythm. So. Those are great thoughts. Thanks, Shauna. You know, right now we're talking about some of the, we're focused on spiritual things. Uh, what are your thoughts or what are your experiences with doing self-examination from a temporal sense? You know, Angelina and I had a, a, a great experience with this. Uh, about a decade ago, we were living in Brazil, um, we were living in Latin America where I'd grown up as a child and it was this really special opportunity for us. But as we reflected on um, the lives that we were living, the professional life that I had, it was fulfilling in a lot of ways, building a startup there, um, but it didn't have purpose and it didn't have the purpose that we'd committed to. And um, after some reflection, we decided it was the right time for us to go make a change. We didn't wanna, we didn't wanna leave. And the Lord was aware and he mm -hmm. helped us make that, that change. And um, you know, I think as, as long as we have the Lord as part of these decisions, that's when I think we're gonna be able to be able to, to go make those tough steps because alone sometimes we can't. You know, and Gay, what does this teach us about the things the Lord cares about uh, when it comes to our lives? Well, he could, cares about all things, mm -hmm. right? Because we're his children in totality, mm -hmm. not just in, in part. 
you know, I had a similar situation when in Australia, um, I was a physical therapist and uh, uh, it, I started having thoughts and things that uh, I needed to, well, I went to Jerusalem and had such a wonderful experience there. And I felt these promptings that I needed to follow that which also meant leaving home, leaving family, coming here by myself um, to come to BYU, start all over again in school. Um, but that was, that was pushing me in a way that I loved Australia, right? And I, I still love Australia mm -hmm. and that's still a part of home for me. But this opportunity to study and prepare myself so that I could help in some way, in a small way to help build the kingdom became really, really important to me. One example I can think of, uh, is from Alma chapter five. Uh, we have this beautiful uh, chapter where Alma asks several, several questions. And one of the questions that Alma asks in this chapter in, in verse 26, and now behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? This idea of, yeah, you may have felt the spirit at one point in your life. Can you, can you still feel it? So it's, it's a reminder that a testimony is a living, breathing thing, um, and it needs to be constantly nourished um, and looked after. Um, it's not just something that we do once and mm -hmm. we can l live on those laurels for the rest of our lives, yeah. So as we, this self-reflection, I love the idea of self-reflection, and because it is so important, um, we have examples from the scriptures of where, where do you do it? Where do you go? Uh, what are some of the, the settings that we should be in, the state of mind, the physical settings? Uh, what are some of your thoughts on time, place to seek out this self-reflection? Well, I think again, it's something that's intentional. They don't usually happen by chance, mm -hmm. right? So for example, uh, we see a number of times where the savior once where he has just heard of the death of John the Baptist. And it says that he goes off into a desert place apart or something like mm -hmm. that. And, and the, the, the Greek there says to be alone, right? And so he's taking time to try and sort through his grief, I think, his mourning, um, but to do it in a way where he can be with the father and help him. Um, so even the savior needs to take time to do that. And he does that a couple of times. Uh, we also have Enos is going to move away and uh, go into a outside. And so he can take the time to, to spend it. And I think basically in both of these, they're looking for a time when, they, when we don't have distractions. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, either of you have a specific place where you like to go to, to ponder, to, to reflect on, on important decisions in your life that you're trying to make? Well, mine is definitely the temple. Mm -hmm. I love the temple. I feel so blessed to live near so many. So that is a time where I don't feel guilty to leave my children because I know <laughs> I need to take that time for myself and it's a guaranteed quiet time for myself. And for me, I, I love the outdoors, but sometimes the, the desert place apart for me is even my home office. Uh, oh. And just closing the door, I close the curtains and um, I find some quiet time alone uh, just in my home. And so uh, sometimes I can't go off in the mountains, but uh, I think it, it is important to find that place that works for you. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion on, on 
self-examination and, and the growth and the progress that we can receive from it. Thanks again for everything you shared with us today and for the audience uh, as well. Thanks for your experiences and for bringing just such a wonderful uh, spirit to this discussion. And for those at home, we still have much to cover from these passages in 2 Corinthians with Gay, Davis, and Asia Lane in footnotes coming up next. I feel the spirit in my heart. I receive a warmth. I also receive uh, thoughts in my mind. And if I don't act on those thoughts, they continually come to my mind. I know I'm feeling the spirit when I get little promptings in my head like, oh, that person's struggling with that box, you should go help them. Or, oh, it's around dinner time. Maybe I should check on who's doing that or if they need help. Usually the way that I will get inspiration is in the form of concepts, visual images, and thoughts. And so when I'm writing, usually if I've written a few words down, then what comes to, into my mind is certain ideas that I can write down that are the solution for my problem. I feel like one of the best ways I feel the spirit is through music. Um, and often I'll ask a question and it takes me about a, a day to a week to actually get an answer. And usually it's just thoughts here and there and understanding that every good thought can come from Heavenly Father. Um, and knowing that if I feel good about this direction and I'm not feeling something immediately stopping me in that way, then this is the right path for me to go on. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13 with Gay, Davis, and Asia Lane. That was really fun, by the way, our previous discussion. That was Thank fun. you so much. Okay, um, I brought you guys a gift, but there's a story that you have to tell with it, okay? <laughs> Oh, my favorite! <laughs> okay, when I, when I uh, heard you guys were coming, I was like, I'm gonna be prepared. And uh, will you just give us, <laughs> give us a little, little cookie story, would oh you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so when we were living in Peru, we were on an internship down there working with the Perpetual Education Fund. We were, felt really poor. We were poor we were college yeah. students. <laughs> so um, every, how often? Once, Once a, week a week or so, yeah. we would go and we would go to the store and get a four pack of cookies. We'd split the cookie every other day and it was such a treat. And I, I think, you know, the scriptures that we read about, you know, we read about the Macedonians and how they had so little, but they mm -hmm. were so happy to give. I look back on our lives and that was maybe that moment for us where we had, we were brand new married. Um, Neither of us came from any kind of money or anything. So mm -hmm. it's like we were struggling to just pay for school and do these things. We went and spent that semester giving. And it was just a beautiful way to start our marriage together. Well, that's awesome. Well, where should we start, Gay? Well, I think uh, let's use uh, 2 Corinthians 8 as our kind of a springboard. In verses yeah, 7 and 8, uh, Therefore... Paul says, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in words, um, and in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So what he's saying here is, you Corinthians are doing some really, really great things here. Um, but here's one way that I want you to make sure that you're participating as well. And then he goes and says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So for him here, I'm not commanding you to do this, but this is a way to show that you're really serious about 
love God and love your, your fellow um, men. Um, so while Paul doesn't use it uh, as a commandment, I think we should understand that, that this is still very much a part of our covenantal responsibility, right? You look in the Old Testament, um, we've got lots of Old Testament prophets when they're saying, Israel, you've broken your covenants. One of the major things that they, they turn to is the fact that you have not looked after the poor and needy. I think it's incredible that in every book of scripture, we find this, yeah. this command um, to, to help the poor and needy in Moses 7 and, and all throughout the Book of Mormon and, and the New Testament and the Old Testament. Right, absolutely. It's not something we can kind of get away from, mm -hmm. right, because it's there. So I, th I thought that a couple of examples from the New Testament where we see some of this and then maybe some Book of Mormon, there's King, King Benjamin has some great things um, to say, is, um, is Luke's story of the John the Baptist story. So Luke is already really interested in the people on the margins, right? And so we know the story that when John the Baptist uh, comes, he, the, the scribes and the Pharisees or others are coming, oh, you're doing this so that you can enter the kingdom of God. We're the children of Abraham, so we should have an automatic ticket in there. And he pretty much says, not on your life, right? But he says, you prove to me, not just that, you're, that Abraham made this covenant, but is this your covenant as well? In Luke chapter three, verses 10 through 14, we've got three different groups. So there's the people, there's the publicans and the soldiers, and they're all asking the questions, well, how do we bring forth fruits, meat for repentance? And, and the people asked him, verse 10, saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and saith unto them, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat or food, let him do likewise. And then also the publicans or the tax collectors came to be baptized and said, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. And then 14, and the soldiers likewise demanded saying, and what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. So like three very different answers, right? But do you see any thread running through all three of these answers? What's the principle that he's really saying to all of them? Give to those in need, right? And so do you see what, what Luke is saying here? That this is part of our covenantal response. It's not enough to make covenants. We've got to keep them. And for Luke, he's saying one of the ways that we show that we're keeping these covenants is by how we look after, reach out, to others and those that are in need. And that's, that's unique to Luke's, Luke's gospel. Can I share a quote yeah. from Sharon Newbank? Please do. She said, the church of Jesus Christ is under divine mandate to care for the poor. It is one of the pillars of the work of salvation and exaltation. Absolutely. And, and we can add to that if we go over to like James uh, chapter one, and it's verse 27. I love this. Pure religion and undefiled before God. Religion in its absolute purity is what? To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, right? Why? We find this all throughout the scriptures, fatherless and widows, because they're the most disadvantaged in ancient, uh, in ancient societies. You know, I think it's interesting in, in the temple, which is the most sacred place that we go to make promises and covenants with the Lord, one of the few covenants that we make um, is about this. It's about com a commitment mm -hmm. to, to give our talents 
um, not just our money, but our time mm-hmm. yeah. to lift yeah. others and to serve others. And so uh, it's, it's real. It's one of the most important things that we're, we're asked to do. And there are other examples uh, from the scriptures of this idea of, of giving not only physically, but then there's the other side of giving spiritually. And we kind of talked a little bit about it a little bit in the previous uh, portion of the show. What other teachings or examples from the scriptures can we see of this, this mandate, this invitation to give physically and spiritually? I'm not a scriptorian. That's all right. <laughs> like Gabe, but uh, one of my favorite chapters in the Book of Mormon is in Mosiah 4. This is King Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as he's, and I see a lot of parallels uh, in Mosiah 4 with what you read in, in 2 Corinthians 8, um, which in 2 Corinthians 8, it starts by talking about the need to physically give, and then it kind of goes into more of a, a, a spirituality where it's talking about Christ and how he became poor so that we could become rich. And it's, not, it's no longer about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more spiritually, uh, referring to things spiritually. And same thing in Mosiah 4, where King Benjamin is first talks about the fact that we need to... Uh, not suffer that the beggar putteth forth his petition unto you in vain. Um, that uh, we can't say, oh, this person brought upon himself his own misery. So it's, it's f- really talking about us physically giving uh, of what we have to someone else. But then a couple verses later, it says, for behold, are we not all beggars? And it goes from physical to spiritual. Yeah. Can I add on to that um, verse 26 of chapter four? Um, I remember reading this. I mean, I've read this lots of times, but a few years ago, all of a sudden, this verse just jumped out and hit me over the head. Um, And it says, so And here's King Benjamin kind of uh, summarizing this whole covenantal uh, discourse that he's been in. And uh, in verse 26, and now for the sake of these things, that covenantal discourse, which I have spoken unto you, that is for the sake of retaining a remission of your sins. For whatever reason this day, that just jumped out at me. Because when I think of remission of sins, the verb I normally think of is to obtain a remission of sins. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about retaining it. And I thought, oh, well, hang on. What does that mean, <laughs> right? When do I obtain uh, remission of sins? But, but how do I go through and retain it? And I love the answer that he says there. So that you, for the sake of retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, that you may walk guiltless before God, I would that you should impart of your substance to the poor, every man according to that which he hath, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally according to their wants. So again, it comes back to what I was trying to kind of say in Luke here about this is, this is where the rubber meets the road on many ways. It's not the only way mm-hmm. to be sure, but this becomes one in scripture that becomes really, really important and it keeps coming back to us again and again. The reality is like, we don't, we don't have to do these grand things. It starts with really small things. And a lot of times just in our, in our local communities. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's important for everyone to remember. It's, we don't have to go buy a ticket and travel to some <laughs> uh, developing country to go do good. I think Sister Eubank has said that a couple of times, right? People wanting the big things. No, just go into your, into your local communities yes. and do things. And studying this lesson, it made me really think about fast offerings. It's just such a beautiful part of God's plan, how we are asked to fast for two meals every month 
and um, the money that we would spend on those meals would go to those in need. And we, there's no reason to complain about it except for that we're hungry, but we're not asked to don't, you know, it was the money that we would use for ourselves, we can give to others. And I, it made me think of it differently. And I usually teach my kids on, you know, fast Sunday, who should we pray for? Let's, you know, we're going to fast. And I haven't been great at teaching them about fast offerings. And this has really made me think about that. I used to think of fast offerings as something, the extra um, funds in our ward would go to the people in our ward. And I didn't realize that they go, they are far reaching. They mm -hmm. will be there for um, members far away who may have a natural disaster and help will be there immediately through those funds. Fast offerings are a little bit different than tithing, right? So tithing, it's mandated, like it's 10%, mm -hmm. but, but nobody's mandating that for fast offerings. President Kimball has asked us to be very generous in our fast offerings. We could be real calculating mm -hmm. in terms of one egg and you know those kinds of things, but he's asked us to be very, very uh, generous in that. And I thought of this uh, statement by C.S. Lewis, um, and I, I just want to read part of it here. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. And then he goes on, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. Well, I like that idea. It should you know, pinch us a little bit and, and to cause us to, to react and to make those adjustments. And that's where the real growth comes in, you know, where you can feel the impact of what you're, you're doing is helping, helping others. And I think that's what Paul was saying here in 2 Corinthians, that the Macedonians were doing that. Yeah. They were in afflictions but they still found a way to be generous in their, in their contributions. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the beautiful part of that, that whole chapter talking about the Macedonians, I love that it starts by saying that they, uh, it talks about grace. Instead of about giving, it's really about grace and how because they had they'd turned themselves to the Lord first, they could give, they were able to give beyond what they normally would have been able to. And they did it graciously and mm -hmm. happily and that is really hard to do. But I think if we can turn to the Lord first, it becomes a lot easier to give of what we have because we realize what I have is not mine. So President Monson used to say, whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. Mm -hmm. I love that. <laughs> but I think that there's an element of that in terms of callings, but also this idea of being called to um, help others, that, that is a call for us. Um, and, and I think that he really will magnify us even in those financial aspects, um, as well as other things. And it's just having faith in him to be able to do it and being willing to, to do and not just talk about mm -hmm. it. And, and I think in four, I love, it's, it says that they actually were, it says praying us with much entreaty. It's like they were, uh, they were actually, the, the Macedonians were actually saying, please take, please be willing wow. to take this money like for them, they saw it as such a privilege, as a gift for them to be able to give, even though they were living in, it, it refers to deep poverty. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I love that. As a receiver, it can be hard to, you know, to, uh, to accept when others are giving. How do you manage that? You know, how do you manage you know, allowing those to not accept what you're trying to give? We had an experience in Philadelphia when we were there for a couple years. 
And I, I had the idea that, oh, I have these fancy neighbor gifts that I give and I receive. And, you know, let's do something a little fancier for the homeless. Mm -hmm. And so we put together pretty baskets and cellophane and ribbon and went driving through the city and, and found the homeless and, and gave those baskets. And I was surprised that not all of them wanted them. Mm. I was not expecting that. Yeah. But it made me think, um, it's okay. We can still cheerfully give and you know, not be offended in anything we're doing. We just do our best. Do you allow yourselves to receive you know, when others try to offer you, whether spiritual, temporal, um, comfort or aid or whatever that you're in need of? I think one thing that really helps is when someone knows it comes from your heart mm -hmm. and that it's done with no expectation of anything other than I love you and I want, I want to help. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that this is what Paul is saying here is that there's something more going on here. Self-sufficiency is important to a point, but there's also this sense of community that mm -hmm. is really, really important. And for some of us, it's, this is, I'm giving this to you. You probably don't need it. Like I, you know, whatever. But this is my way of saying, I love you. I care about you. And, uh, and, and sometimes that's hard to find a way to be able to do that in meaningful ways. But these are my attempts to say, you're, you're seen and, mm -hmm. and I appreciate you. And that builds those bonds, which are so mm -hmm. very important right in point. any community. Actually, this, this brings to mind an experience I had as, as a missionary in Bolivia. I, had, um, I was in an area where we had bikes and the cuff of my pants on every one of my pants had been caught in the spokes <laughs> and ripped. And one of the sisters in our, in, our, in our ward saw that and she said, Elder Smith, like, can I, can I take your pants and I'll fix them? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh no. Like, I, in my head I just thought, no, no, I'm not gonna inconvenience her. Like, I, should, I can just go pay, I'll go find some place and pay to do yeah. that. And we left my companion who was Bolivian said, Elder Smith, I just wanna let you know you, need, you should let her serve you. Mm -hmm. Like when you serve someone, you love them. And yeah. it's a way for you to connect with her in a special way. And he was so right. And I came back with the pants and she fixed them. And I go back to Bolivia and visit her. And like, wow, I just, see. I love um, that that service connected us in a special mm -hmm. way that you just don't get through yeah. without service. So I, I, I've seen a connection between the two topics we've talked about today. Uh, this idea of, of cheerfully giving and then examining ourselves. And for some, you know, sometimes we want to give more and we need to do a little self-reflection. So uh, I, I'd love to talk about examining ourselves, reflecting on what we can do to give more and to give more cheerfully. Well, I got this from women's conference, right? That they always had a, a service aspect of women's conference when they had that at BYU. And I used to love going to those and seeing thousands of women working together to help uh, other people that they'd never see or experience. It was power of sisterhood. I thought this is Relief Society at, at its best in so many ways. And so uh, I love to do that and then came back. So are we gonna do that in our stake? Can we do those things? And sometimes it's a matter of, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But the church has this wonderful Just Serve app that provides so many opportunities and it's so 
flexible on many ways in terms of how many people, when they're going to do it and things like that. We've had some great opportunities for, to partner with Just Serve in our women's conferences in the stake level to, to reach out in, in really, really meaningful ways. Again, not that we're ever going to see these people, but what does it do to us as a Relief mm -hmm. Society as we're sitting there doing that together? That's really powerful, I think. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I think of the youth uh, and how, how we can help the youth develop mm -hmm. this, this love and this understanding of, of our responsibility to give. One, one thing that comes to mind for me is a, is a quote. Uh, there was a, a, a Sunday school manual that was developed in the 1970s, uh, and it was asked to be written by David O. McKay. Uh, he, David O. McKay asked a man named O.C. Tanner to write this this manual, and, and it's all about the attributes of Christ, and each chapter is about one of the attributes, and there's one about service, and it's one of my favorite quotes is in there. And, uh, he says, one way to describe a life of service would be to understand that for every right we claim, there is a corresponding duty, and for every privilege, a responsibility. So what comes to mind for me is that, him about you know, because I haven't given much, I too must give. So I've been given a lot, I, I should give, but what he says is, my favorite part, he says, yet it is more. It is a heart filled with love and gratitude such that one feels he could never repay the debt he owes. The only way to free ourselves from the prison of selfishness is to pour out our lives in love and service to great causes and noble ideas. And if we can teach our youth to understand this, that it's not just because we've been given a lot we have to give, it's we could never give enough. Mm -hmm. We are so indebted that we need to live our life in a way that we're so committed to the, to the gospel, the greatest cause. It's so funny as you were, <laughs> I was literally pulling up the lyrics too because I have been given <laughs> Oh, amazing. <laughs> it was so neat because that was the first thing that came to my mind, um, this idea of self-reflection on what we've been given. You know, we think about a lot of times, um, you know, how can I be better? What can I, you know, like Sister Craig, what can I, start doing? What can I stop doing? I love the thought of what have I been given? What a beautiful example that you both have been to, to so many people. And, and I'm sure that oftentimes it may go unnoticed. There's probably so many stories that you don't know about uh, of the impact that you've had. And, and we so appreciate you being with, uh, being with us here and sharing your story, your testimonies, and your experience. And, and Gay, you're so wonderful to, to share the knowledge that you have of the scriptures. Uh, what a wonderful conversation we've had today about giving cheerfully and about examining ourselves, uh, you know, and, and trying to, to improve just a little bit. And for those watching at home, thank you so much for joining us in this discussion from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 through 13. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we'll study Paul's epistle to the Galatians and seek to understand more of what it means to walk in the Spirit. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 